I am Justin Shapiro for what has never been called a Justin Shapiro show. If we remember like Wrestling Challenge and they would change the apron and make it say Wrestling Superstars, but it's the same people in the crowd and the same uh, decor. This is like that with uh, from the Let's Just Chat taping of two months ago. I'm speaking with the same people and then we just all moved one chair over. One of the primary persons is Matt Forestine of Talking to Me fame. Matt, how are you? Just fine. I'm fine. Same as that fabled June night. Fine. All right. I'll drop it. Um. Oh, Matt, will you do um your comedy bang bang catchphrase that you got last month? Could you can you do it for us? Save it for the end. You know, for pe- <laughs> for people who are listening to this, you probably have no idea what you're talking about and don't care about that. I'll fl- I'll let them just wrap. Allow up. me to clarify on the equally popular podcast, Comedy Bang Bang. Uh, Matt's catchphrase submission was chosen, and it was a good one, and he, I guess, will not indulge us until the end of the show. Mm. And maybe I can give a a Scott Ackerman-style introduction for our second guest. You know him from The Daily Now. You know him from Vulture. You know him from YYZTheShooters.net. You know him from TheCubsFan.com. You know him from Comic Book. Book resources. You know him from AOL Instant Messenger conversation with me in oh. the decade of the 2000s. Quite a few back in the day. It's Albert Ching. Vulture. Thank you for. <laughs> it's one of those. Yeah. I'm Where did sure. your Arrested Development think piece appear? The Atlantic. I win. Oops. Oh man, that's like six of one, half They're dozen of the other, great. right? They're both great sites. They're incisive commentary on both. Hello, Justin. How are you? Hey. I like this chair that I moved over into. At the end of the show, while I'm also singing my comedy bang bang catchphrase, I'm going to be singing mm-hmm. my hot new comedy single, All the Pringle Ladies. <laughs> well, let me tell you, I, I got a little uh, in-person sampler of that song, The Week <laughs> And right now, I don't know where your expectations are, Justin. You're probably thinking mm-hmm. that it's going to be pretty funny. It's yeah, really funny. Moderately. It's cor- choruses and verses. Oh, that was my next question. Is there a bridge or not yet? How many? Well, how many spoilers. of the? <laughs> how many of the original words have you changed, Matt? Uh, well, up appears a lot. Minimum of one. Like, uh-huh. like is in there. Like it, like it, yeah. and should have. That's still in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to get back to you. While you guys are talking about SummerSlam, I'm gonna be calculating. I would okay. say he changed just enough <laughs> to make it hilarious. <laughs> But retained <laughs> enough to keep the familiarity of the parody. It's, it's important map. because yeah. it's comforting to hear the song you know and love. And then what's this? An humorous twist? The, fil- so. the familiarity of the parody equals hilarity. <laughs> and making it about food just, you know, completes the uh, his, his future <laughs> as the next Weird Al Yankovic, which is, I think, what we've mm-hmm. all seen. <laughs> In Matt's potential for mm-hmm. years and years, finally being unlocked. So well, we know I'm, Matt has an improv background, as he's demonstrated with his tough New York character of the smoky Madison Square Garden of the late seventies to it seems early nineties. Bus driver, now, bus driver who uses the oh, word. Okay, I forgot his occupation, and now it sounded like we got a taste of some sort of. Slam poetry character who I'd love to hear more from uh, <laughs> at a certain point. Um, so, all right, c- continue listening for the 
national debut, save the conversation you had privately with Albert last weekend, all the Pringle ladies. Basically, this show, as it exists in so many words, is the equivalent of Matt showing me slides from the vacations he takes to wrestling pay-per-views. And I like it, and I put a ching on it, which is why I um, can assume from that that Matt went to SummerSlam with Albert. Yes, but, you know, I'm not some fucking weirdo, you know? I, I, <laughs> That's right. I, 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 didn't, I didn't fly across the country to go to wrestling. I, mm-hmm. I had a vacation time, and I was going to go to California to visit my good friend Albert Cha-Ching. Ching. <laughs> and, and I went from Los Angeles. It's not quotation mark Cha and quotations Ching. Yes. It's double Ching. Albert okay. Cha-Ching. Ching. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I, you know, visited Albert in Los Angeles where he lives a sexy, sexy Hollywood lifestyle, and uh, then drove up the coast of San Francisco. Um, but in the, me- in the meantime, in the middle of that, um, we found ourselves in t- smack dab in the middle of the biggest party of the summer, also known <laughs> as SummerSlam. It was once you got there. Justin, Justin, hey. have you ever met somebody who's been to WrestleMania and SummerSlam in the same year? <laughs> and tables, ladders, and chairs. Tell your female friends because they're gonna want some of this. When they, <laughs> um, I will. I'll notify all the Pringle ladies. <laughs> so that's like three of the last nine papers. Yeah, and you don't even watch Raw, do you? I, you know, I try to, but it's so long, Justin. <laughs> it's so long. Frequently, it seems like you have it on and you're not paying attention, and it's on mute. Yeah, a lot of times I'll have it on mute while listening to, like, stuff on my headphones. But a lot of times I also just don't have it on because it is so long. Oof. It is a struggle. Yeah. You don't, you could, you don't, well, oh well. Why don't you just strategically DVR it and then single out key segs? I mean, I'll, I'll, if, 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 Kevin Dunn calls. If something sounds that great, I will look it up on YouTube and it is usually up there pretty quickly, so... Okay, well, I'd love to know what you thought of some of the follow-up, but that comes much later. Mm-hmm. But, no, it's true. You, What has always been considered the Triple Crown, the big three, uh, WrestleMania, SummerSlam, and Tables, Ladders, cool. and Chairs, <laughs> and the same uh, Observer Award calendar year. Indeed. Was that, um, I guess, WrestleMania, you would say, was the third worst of those? The third best? Uh, yeah, I would say the third best. But it probably had my second favorite match of all the three shows. I will say that. Mm, interesting. Jericho Fandango. Actually, it was The Miz versus Wade Barrett. So, Ooh. So. Twisted it all up. And Albert, I remember you did an Arizona SummerSlam exactly ten years ago, right? Have you done any of the L.A. ones in between? Yes, this... Um the SummerSlam marked my decade of destruction <laughs> at SummerSlams. Um, every time I go there, I like throw some stuff around. Um, yes, I went to the following SummerSlams in Los Angeles. Here we go. 2009, I, I was there. <laughs> 2010, in attendance. 2011, <laughs> Albert, in the house. 2012? <laughs> no! Uh, oh! Didn't go, wasn't there. So, quite a, quite a many, though. It was the second most famous streak in wrestling. It came to an end, and now it's back, starting a new streak, right? Actually, Albert did, in fact, streak during SummerSlam. I, like, he is actually the famed SummerSlam streaker. Did Sean O'Hare convince you to do that? I had some, sure. some good Sean O'Hare material I've been sitting on for years. 
Um, I totally believe that to be true. He's not saying his thing that we all remember him to say. Um, how wonderful that ten years after Demand, Bill Goldberg ran wild in an elimination chamber, he could be on the precipice of a return to World Wrestling Entertainment. It'll be a precipitous return. I mean, now is the right time for a uh, for Goldberg <laughs> return. It's just out there. It's like in the zeitgeist. Everyone wants it. You ran through some Goldberg dream matches with me. Top to, yeah, Big E versus Big G. <laughs> That's a big one. Um, we had a few. You want to see Goldberg Brock the rematch, and I want to see Goldberg Christian the rematch. I think Christian could finally have his number. He's been on a bit of a hot streak. This is crazy, but Goldberg actually gave Christian his number, and he was like, "Call me, maybe." <laughs> is this another one of those parody songs with zero words changed? <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just thought of it. It's gonna be about Goldberg giving Christian his phone number. <laughs> It's not even just like call C maybe. Well, the C is well now, it, now it is. You get co-writer credit. Hmm. Context has changed completely when you think about it being <laughs> between Goldberg and Christian, which is right. not anything I ever considered when hearing that song <laughs> as it was you know blazing through the charts in the summer 2012. I, I just I just want to say it, he wouldn't he would not be able to say I just met you anymore because um, they met a long time ago. Mm, that's right. I, it could be a, a Hulk Hogan and the Godfather thing when Hogan came back to WWF in 2002 and he said, Hey, Papa Shango, I love your gimmick. Did that happen? Yes. Oh, cool. It was the same memorable night when Scott Hall allegedly said to the Dudleys, Hey, you guys have a really realistic finisher. I can't wait to kick out of it. <laughs> what an absolute rascal. <laughs> and Well, Matt, did you go to the... Um, you didn't go to 91 or 98 Summer Slam, did you? No. You were too little. I tried to go to 91, but it was sold out by the time we called. Uh, I don't know why I never... I, I think th- they just they just sell out so quickly that... And, you know, this is before, like, I thought of going to, like, Ticketmaster.com to just... <laughs> and, yeah. Anyway, so, anyway, long story short, no. You Pearl Jammed it? First Summer Slam I ever went to. And what came first, the trip or uh, the... SummerSlam, because you told me you were considering going to the um, Money in the Bank when you heard about the Daniel Bryan title match, and then that was pushed back, and did that, then it all coalesced beautifully, or you, you know? kind of did all coalesce beautifully. I was going to go to Summer uh, to Money in the Bank because it was in Philadelphia, which is like, you know, an hour and a half away from where I live, so it would have been easy. Um, I, I was originally actually going to um, just take a trip out to California. And it was actually going to be like I think it was going to be in L.A. this weekend instead of last weekend, but Albert was just like, uh, you know, why don't you just come when SummerSlam is happening? And I was like, well, that's an idea, but isn't it sold out? And Albert was like, well, have you heard of the stuff? No, it's have- SummerSlam. And he was like, well, have you ever heard of the st- <laughs> <laughs> stepped on my joke? Get it? With a better oh. joke, <laughs> to be fair. Um, and he was like, um, well, actually, there's a website called thestubhub.com. And um, so I was like, oh, the stub- that won't get you there. Oh, the stubhub.com. Well, in that <laughs> case, uh, we should go to the SummerSlam. And he was, was like, well, that's it. We're doing it. So long story short, um, actually, it was long story long. I mm-hmm. ended up going to SummerSlam with Albert. Did Timberlake tell them to change it to stubhub.com from the stubhub.com? Was it cleaner? <laughs> <laughs> Did you say Timberland? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, so... I guess the 
good intro that I should have started with 15 minutes ago was um, four years ago, you and I went to see um, that Ring of Honor Battle Final Battle show where Brian Danielson had his last match and he with Nigel McGuinness, and he was going to WWE, and everyone was like, good luck, we love you. And he, he said that John Cena was going to get his fucking head kicked the fuck in. And everyone agreed, except for me. I was skeptical. <laughs> and who was right in the long run? All those people. And to be fair, didn't he kick John Cena on TV like less than a year after that? Yeah, I guess that's true. So he did literally get his head kicked in. There was just minimal aftershock. He got his head kicked, but it didn't go in. It was kind of just stayed. Yeah, it would be horrifying if it was kicked in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought, I thought he was going to be successful in WWE. I was never one of those, like misery purveyors who just rub their hands together expecting to see like WWE crush people under their boots except Loki um, who's weird so that's kind of excusable and um, but I can't say I first saw him uh, main eventing SummerSlam and beating John Cena clean no I Albert was actually talking about this um, after SummerSlam he was like why is Daniel Bryan so popular because we're like <laughs> you know we know why we like him but why does everyone else like him so much? And obviously he's a really good wrestler and he's and he's charismatic, but doesn't really fit the profile of too many people ever who have been that popular. And it's and I think the jury's still out on just how popular he is because people in the crowds like to chant yes and stuff. But you know whether people like pay like you know enough people pay to see him to make a difference at the box office. You know I don't know. I'm not ruling it out. I'm just saying we don't know that yet. But. It is interesting. Sure. Like I never would have expected them to give him this big of a push, and I am also somebody who expect him to be pretty successful in WWE. I think he's very. I think he seems like a likable guy. I don't know. There's something. Uh, I think that's probably a generic thing. But he just has sort of like a like a very like sort of I think normal nice guy type charm, which I think helps, even though that's kind of a, a weird quality to assign <laughs> to a, a superstar wrestler. But I really think that's part of it. I don't know. What do you guys think? Does that I'll- make sense? Albert, would you say that he has a certain zazz to him? <laughs> um, uh, sort of a, an ineffable verb, perhaps. <laughs> he reminds me of like some other people's rises to the top, where they're just really talented and the fans like them. But he he has more, or at least a different kind of personality than Bret Hart when. People were like, hey, Bret Hart works really hard. I would like to see you win more, Bret Hart. And then eventually he did. And Eddie Guerrero was sort of a, a demographic thing, although I would say everybody at a certain point found him pretty uh, belovable. Yeah, Eddie, Eddie Guerrero is one of those guys, like, the most, one of the most all-around talented wrestlers ever. So it's, you know, not as surprising. Daniel Bryan, you know, he certainly has charisma and he has a good personality, but I wouldn't say he has, like, overwhelming charisma the way Eddie Guerrero did. I don't know. True. Yeah, or the, the when Eddie came into himself, mm-hmm. uh, fully realized it. <laughs> it went backwards. <laughs> Is that a vasectomy, how that works, basically? After you're yeah. vasectomized, no. do you come into yourself? <laughs> a big build-up, huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, eventually, I guess eventually I'm, people who are vasectomized, they just straight up explode. <laughs> um, I guess coming to your own is the correct idiom there. Um, coming to your own what? 
Never mind. I guess, but hey, not that kind <laughs> of show, Matt. That's right. <laughs> Why did you lower the level of discourse as per usual? But I mean, so this inadvertently for you, Matt, and not to make this the Matt Feuerstein biography, you. Go to the West Coast, you see SummerSlam, and it happens to be the show that they build around your two best friends from Hammerstein Ballroom in double main event against, like, two of the three biggest stars WWE employs. And they both did, like, 25-minute long excellent matches, so... Yeah, it was cool to have a nice moment, like, a a nice feel-good, like, shooty-style moment at the end of a pay-per-view, or right before the end of a pay-per-view, that isn't forever tainted by the stench of murder. For now, for now. Well, uh, did Orton not kill the moment? Uh, <laughs> I would say he didn't, because it was still a big moment where it was like, oh, like this is a big angle where Daniel Bryan is the big heroic babyface that's going to come back from this. So, right. and I mean, surely everyone, no matter how long that went, knew that was going to happen or something was going to happen. Well, after um, DB Pensina, quite a few people <laughs> got up to leave. So they made it out quick enough and then, you know, didn't hear or see anything about what had happened yet. It's still a really nice moment for them. They have no idea. (laughs) Imagine their surprise. That's just the last wrestling they'll ever watch. They saw it. They're like, you can't get better than that. Can't get a nicer, sweeter moment for this, you know, perennial underdog. He he won. He won (laughs) cleanly. He got the confetti. And then that's it. Then, you know, we'll, we'll just never know. That's fine. So speaking of the stench of murder, how about that uh, Ring of Fire match? You know, I was really pleased with myself when I made the hot opener joke to you in real time, yes. and now like a week later, a dozen, two, two dozen people have already done it. Yeah. So. Let me ask you guys this. How close were your seats? Were your seats? Could, could Not you close. Okay. No, they were, and, they were far, far away. <laughs> they were far away. So was the fire hot? No. But we could hear. We could hear like the, you know, the. Whoosh. Yeah, yeah. Yes. We could hear the heat. Like we could hear that it was hot. Yeah. It was like the hottest audio party of the summer, which is which <laughs> is another name for this podcast. Yeah, because I, uh, I mean, when even Kane's pyro goes off at tapings, I've been to oftentimes, but just for a fleeting couple seconds, I'll be like, man, it was legitimately hot. So I wondered if you had that stuff running full time, whether everyone would start to like take out hand fans and things like that. Well, I remember that um, I um, when I went to an MSG house show in 2000 and not 2000, uh, 1998, actually, it was a week before WrestleMania 14, and Kane came out, and I didn't have close seats. But when he did the the fire thing from the post, it still felt really, really hot, like from where I was sitting. Well, not really, really hot, like not dangerously hot, but I could feel the heat, you know. And now I don't feel it. So I'm wondering if they changed it to where it's not like hot anymore or I don't know. Just uh, Justin, you probably had pretty close seats to Kane, um, <laughs> like, you know, in the airport uh, or the <laughs> doctor's waiting room. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you feel do you that feel it? waiting room, right? Yeah. Oh, good one. Boom. Nice. High five. Um, the uh, lawyer's waiting room while they while he talks to his client, the Unabomber. I don't know. Um, uh, anyway, um, uh, so w- I think we can all agree that you each equally nailed it. <laughs> uh, so uh, anyway, can you feel it when Kane's fire comes out of the ring post? 
Yeah. Okay. So I, I check my hair to see if it's singed or anything like that. It'll just be like, ooh. And, or I may be thinking also Booker T when he first started. I think they gave him some flames from the Harlem Heat. And uh, those would be, whew, a bit much. I've never been to an Inferno match, though. I have been to a Hell in a Cell, and that did not replicate the temperature of Hell. <laughs> oh, no. I don't know. Well, we haven't seen the Inferno match either, because we saw a Ring of Fire match. That's true. Oh, excuse me. Different rules. And Matt, what do you prefer, Ring of Fire or Ring of Honor? <laughs> well, you know, the main event was sort of a Ring of Honor match, but with all the fighting spirit. Um, mm-hmm. So it was bookended by Ring of matches. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, this... Uh, no, this match is bad. It's a bad match. <laughs> Thank you for driving the conversation where it, by all rights, should be going. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was actually worried when it started because I was like, oh, no sound from the crowd at all for this match. No noise of any kind. So I was worried this was going to be a really dead crowd, but it was just like, nope, it's just the match that was terrible. I think the the conversation has yet to be written. No. Dictated. Something has yet to be written about the Wyatts because they certainly had like a, a a really great build up and then a cool buzz when they started. And Bray Wyatt is a great talker, but um, those two dudes can't work. And as Albert pointed out to me the night they debuted, it's sort of hard for them to live up to their vignettes. Oh yeah, and exist as wrestlers. Like, if they're not going to murder wrestlers and some of the fans, it's kind of like, what do you want to accomplish anyway? You want to win matches with moves? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was saying. These vignettes are, like, so awesome. They should just keep producing vignettes where maybe, like, he, like, does some sort of, like, weird, like, psychobabble-y uh, commentary on the wrestling, but kind of in a very ethereal or metaphorical way. But never actually has to come out and wrestle because how could you do any better than those, than those crazy promos? But yeah, but they, they really do at some point, though. I think just they need to have some good matches because I think that's what you need to stay over nowadays. I don't know. What do you think of Bray Wyatt as a commentator, just talking the way he talks? <laughs> um, He could transition to a Zeb Coulter-like thing, probably. There's a pretty cool picture I just saw of Zeb Coulter, Renee Young, and Summer Rae hanging out. One of my favorite candidates. Top three candidates of the last four years. One, Jericho kissing Kelly Kelly. Still weird. (laughs) Inexplicable to this day. And I'd hate to speculate. Two, no, it was a countdown from uh, one to zero, I guess. Zero is obviously Bella Prom. And really the story of this whole show probably ties back to that initial picture. And then I only have two, so... I think I have a good idea for uh, Bray Wyatt's future. I think they should do a, a WWE Films production, uh, Freddy versus Jason-esque movie with Bray Wyatt versus Jacob Goodnight. That's not a half-flimsy premise. At the very least, I think that Bray Wyatt could make a good movie. Like, as like it not as producer yeah. or <laughs> in the director's chair. I saw, <laughs> I saw that coming. For, for, for all we know, he could. We don't know what he's, you know, what he hobbies, what he, what he, what his hobbies are. Um, but no, I think that character could be a good, at least good on the level of WWE films movie. They if were produced a film. His dad could probably handle the financial side. <laughs> well, his dad, his dad, yeah, his dad could finance the money and collect the taxes. Now, Mike Rotunda is not Jewish. Was the Erwin R. Scheister character Jewish? Uh, he had a Yiddish la- word for last name. 
I'm going to say yes. What a coincidence wore... that someone with the initials of IRS would go on <laughs> to be a tax man. Well, what are the what are the uh, what are the uh, what's what are the odds that somebody whose last name is Wall Street would go on to be a super rich man? <laughs> so, a lot of coincidences with men who look similar. God, what was the second match? <laughs> it was Cody Rhodes versus. Thank you, Aaron the Idol Stevens. Oh man, you're as bad as one half of the teachers. Pe- That's right. <laughs> I am just as bad as them. We're bad dudes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they made that video game about you in the late '80s. Mm-hmm. Final fight. <laughs> sure. Well, I thought um, that the angle they did at Money in the Bank where Cody, Cody's last stand where he basically beat up everybody and the Shield to get the belt or the briefcase was pretty beautifully done. And then his dear friend who had been hiding under the table threw him off the ladder in the very same match where Cesaro and Swagger cooperated for the greater good of uh, white people was really well done, and then everything since then, where it's like baby faces have to be... People who get um, mistreated and complain about it are seen as weak, so you have to be like, I don't even care, but I'll beat you up. And I, th- I think it's sort of undercut everything that's happening there, and Cody's uh, sort of been not what they hope for at this point. I, th- I think that just kind of goes also to show how important a hot crowd can be, because... I watched Money in the Bank in those two matches, and I was like, oh, my God, they have so many wrestlers who are so over, and their characters are so over. And then, I, like, it was, you know, if you see from, like, TV and stuff, it's like, oh, no, it's just mainly the four guys that are at the top that are over. And it's, I don't know, it's interesting how, how much a crowd can make or break something. Um, that, that You really did get the sense that, like, Cody was going to be on the verge of something big. And I get the sense also that even if they had kind of done a good job with the build-up to this match... It's, he still wouldn't have been as over as it seemed like he was going to be on that uh, Money in the Bank pay-per-view. I didn't see the match because I uh, was in line buying uh, buying some shows. That's short for nachos. And I, I didn't see intentionally <laughs> it. I just thought it was going to be a quicker experience than, uh, than it right. was. And I thought, oh, you know, road sand out. They're probably going to give him a good, you know, 40, 45 minutes. And, uh, <laughs> by the time I returned, the match uh, was over. I, I would like to apologize <laughs> in case he ever hears this. It was not my intention. I was ill-timed. Um, but I also did get, while I was uh, getting my, my nachos, I did get the WWE Souvenir Cup, and I believe he's on it. And so I think he, he might get some uh, some piece of that merchandise. So hopefully that oh, can that be some, some small recompense for my lack of focus. So unfortunately, mm-hmm. I uh, don't have... Too much of a perspective, but I'm sure it was pretty good, right, Matt? It's pretty good, Matt. Yeah, it was fine. It was, it was a solid, fine, short match, and there's really very little to say about it. I wouldn't say like the crowd was dead for it. I wouldn't say like these guys were like completely like not over, but they also were not like into it to the point where they like really seemed to care too much about who won. Mm-hmm. So I think it's about at the level of heat you'd expect for a six minute second match on a pay per view. I think Sandow's hurt because he's gotten a little soft. Yeah. Not to go all. <laughs> people oh who talk about go all, guys go all, go all Meltzer on him yeah I was going to ask you Justin because you've seen more stand now than I have what do you think of sure. his upside potential I was going to say it's still very weird to inv- like as much as the world title has been downgraded to like Intercontinental Plus or even just Intercontinental Minus like to Sandow and Rhodes were an entertaining but basically jobber team for almost the whole year until the pay-per-view I like him a lot I guess if if they don't 
care, then sure, he could just be the the world champion. Uh, I Cody going back to legacy always seemed to have like grand designs for him, but I don't know. I Sheamus had a a serious program with Sheamus after WrestleMania where he got to be a little vicious and mean and have uh, more even matches with a top guy and did reasonably well and I wonder if that uh, convinced a lot of people that he was um, really good and let him skip past some of the Wade Barrett type guys who've been waiting for a long time. Speaking of the world title, does anyone else think that at this point, because like they've so like blatantly pretty much stated that it is less important than their WWE title, what with Daniel Bryan going for the WWE title and them being like, oh, it's his first WWE title and not even really acknowledging that he was world champion. Does anyone else think... Or Henry, too. Yes, true. Does anyone else think that maybe at this point they should stop allowing the Royal Rumble winner to choose that world title match because it kind of devalues the Royal Rumble now? Especially since two years in a row when, this, when they chose the world title, that match ended up being the opener. And I'm just, I'm just sort of to the point now where it's like, they don't even really pretend they're equal anymore. So why not just have the Royal Rumble be to actually be in the WrestleMania main event? I guess if only to keep like your options of what you can do between January and April more uh, in flux. Although you could argue that it would be better just to have him win and set up a, a focused match like that. That is what I would argue. And in fact, I would almost say like maybe the Elimination Chamber, they could have one that's just for the SmackDown title match every year. And that could, you know, I don't know. Some, or world title match, I guess I should say. If they even keep that title, I'd be pretty pretty happy at this point if they just got rid of it, too. It's hard, I mean, because it, it doesn't even headline the, whatever the second brand is called, like Team Punk or something like that. There's just, there was going to be a Cena, there was a Cena brand and an Orton brand, and then it was to be a Cena brand and a Punk brand. And now it's a Daniel Bryan brand and a CM Punk brand, just as we all expected. Yeah, when, um... When was the last time the world title even headlined the pay-per-view? I'm thinking back probably to like the Christian Alberto Del Rio ladder match in 2011. And that didn't even... I think Cena and Morrison and Miz in a cage went on last. And then I have total recall of that is weird. It's a good question. I would love to remember this on the fly. I guess I have infinite time because I'll just take out the pause. Kane Undertaker, Hell in a Cell, maybe, went last and was really bad. And that was a world title match? Yes, that did go last. Hell in a Cell 2010. Well, time well spent. <laughs> I wanted to call you on the carpet on this, Matt and Albert, not you, because I know in your heart you wouldn't have let it happen. Why did you not go see Maria Menounos work Eva Marie at SummerSlam Access? Well, we were taking a hike to the oh. Griffith Observatory. And we got such sweet pictures going up there that it was totally worth it. But if we hadn't done that, I, I think that you wouldn't have been up for paying $25 to see Maria Menounos take on Eva Marie in her debut match. Mm-hmm. A historic well, occasion. Well, I guess you don't know as much about me as you think you do. <laughs> I would love to be wrong. Things are picking up. Alberto Del Rio and Christian for the World's Heavyweight Championship Third from the top, real good match. All of a sudden, I was because uh, you know the crowd wasn't so into the first couple matches, and I was like, "Well, Christian always knows how to get the crowds into his matches, and he did by clapping rhythmically yeah. at the beginning of them." He did, right, exactly, and it works out so well. He's he really knows and the secret of clapping. Times, yeah, in the, mm. the midst <laughs> of the match, like when he's about to to make a hot comeback. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he did a really good job, and so did Alberto Del Rio, and. I didn't. I could not tell from where I was sitting that Alberto Del Rio was already 
terribly beaten up in that match. So good on him for, uh, you know, working real hard and doing a nice job. But, um, yeah, uh, so you guys had a theory about Christian. So uh, <laughs> I don't want to step all over that. So go on. It's a working theory. There's not a lot to corroborate at this point. Um, Albert and I, probably more so than you, are legitimate peeps. Is that fair to say? Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, so we've always liked him, rooted for him all the time. I mean, what's not to like about any era of Christian, really? So I um, thought he had something approximating a day in the sun with his uh, two-day world title reign two years ago, and then at least a series of matches with Randy Orton that he lost uh, uh, unequivocally every time. <laughs> so and then he got hurt a little bit thereafter, and then he, when he came back briefly last year, he was really just doing intercontinental stuff and putting over a lot of the young heels. And, um, you know, it, realistic expectations in an era where um, some new guys who I really like, are put way on top. It was hard to be that upset about it, even though I always had a a, a soft spot in my heart for the man. And uh, so he he comes back this time after, I guess, like two or three months of being ready, and they just didn't bother to put him back on TV, or, you know, part of the new dictum that everybody has to have a program to come back to which he really didn't, as it turned out. But anyway, he comes back, and he's mostly doing the same thing. And then uh, after Money in the Bank, he wrestles Damian Sandow and beats him. And people are like, what is this shit where Damian Sandow, the anointed uh, Money in the Bank rising star guy, has to lose to freaking Christian? And then uh, Christian continued to win and uh, actually beat Randy Orton himself. And rolled up a. That's how he rolled up a series of wins over uh, Del Rio and uh, lots of surprising guys, and was in this world title match just out of nowhere. Uh, over, I mean, if I would have predicted who Del Rio was going to wrestle on this show, it would have been probably Ziggler or RVD, and then there he was. So, I legitimate, genuine concern. This kind of just like nice things. Granted, the the world title match doesn't matter too much. Um, and you can just put in a guy for him to beat and have a, a, a very good match with. But Albert and I, are, and we'd like to get confirm, confirmation in the negative. Does Christian have a terminal disease? Um, are, you well, asking, are you are you asking me? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm gonna say he does in the sense that we're all on a long pathway toward death. Yeah, man. Is it life a terminal disease? Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> But but um, otherwise, I, I I don't think he does. I think there is also a very oddly placed uh, career retrospective video that seemed like it should have been safe for Christian in the Hall of Fame and not Christian in the third match at SummerSlam. Um, and it was even more out of nowhere because before Money in the Bank, he lost cleanly to like everyone else in that match. On yeah, the yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like it was even mm-hmm. more kind of bizarre. He just turned it around. He was probably studying film, yep. saw what was wrong in his technique. It wasn't moving his shoulders in a clockwise motion like this enough. And then he got that back and uh, real hot streak. Maybe they just thought it didn't matter and like they didn't have a lot of good matches on the undercard and they figured they just wanted to have the best match. And and then they had a, a, a really nice match, which was uh, extra impressive because they had just done two long matches on TV. And they got 
They got you. They got the crowd. They did. They... And you guys were like, go, 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 Christian. Yeah, and they really got me. A champ did not catch on. <laughs> <laughs> but I tried, man. I tried hard. <laughs> but, yeah, really nice stuff, and um, Christian is my man. I hope he's okay. <laughs> and I think this was a important uh, undercard match to make it slightly more than a two-match show. Though with those two matches, who even cares? Uh, but, yeah, I mean, big picture, this was not so much structured like SummerSlam 2002, which is probably a popular pick for the best SummerSlam, and I would say this is the best SummerSlam since then. SummerSlam 02, it was like nine or ten-minute matches up and down the undercard where they would put two really guy, really good guys against each other and let them have a, an abbreviated version of uh, a really good match, and then they got to their big two matches. Whereas this was a lot of filler surrounding the three important matches. Yeah, well, some people are calling this the best SummerSlam ever. And, I, you know, I was there, and I'm very happy that I was there. It was great. I loved it. But I do think it's sort of a case of slightly lowered standards in the sense that I think there was a period in WWE, like, I don't know, 2000, 2001, 2002, where, like, two really great matches was almost, like, not rare in WWE for a pay-per-view. And... Um, so I don't think this this stands out that much. I guess what stands out about it is that like the main event also felt that it was kind of historic while being mm-hmm. great. Um, but I think WWE has had you know a number of better pay per views over the past <laughs> couple of years. They had uh, the Extreme Rules in 2012. I would say it was 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 better than this. Uh, what do you think, Justin? Um, yeah, I guess it depends on the criteria. As far as two matches that seemed really important and really consequential and had the big stars and happened to be the two most uh, important matches on the show and both got a lot of time, then this is a really good twofer. As far as shows where the stars pile up, and I don't mean I don't mean star power, I mean asterisks, mm-hmm. which don't even look like stars that much when you get down to well, the, Jewish stars. Well, there's no star button on my keyboard. Is there one on yours? <laughs> Touché. You could draw a big one out of um, backslashes and forward slashes. Mm-hmm. That's really how it should be done. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, well, there have been better undercards or more consistent ones, definitely. And also... Obviously, Shows with more good matches. Right, and also, I think Money in the Bank, uh, pretty much every year now, is like like an old-style WWF show from like the good, like the best era, where like it's just like lots of great matches. And, it, and obviously, it's much easier when you have two ladder matches with mm-hmm. lots of good workers on the same show. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, finally, Brock Lesnar in a match against someone uh, besides Triple H, his first new program in really a calendar, more than a calendar year, because, yeah, it was the night after the um, Cena match that he broke Triple H's arm, and uh, he had a guy who he could throw around and who would be like, yikes, Brock Lesnar is a a very hard person to wrestle against because he's really strong and mean. And the match was a, a... Different kind of match than the Triple H matches. Yeah, and um, I mean, well, for one thing, uh, we, it's good that we don't talk about the Divas match because I happen to miss that match. No, I, for what? And, More shows? Well, no, I was actually I was gonna get a pretzel and water, and the line was long, and the, it would have been like eight fifty for like those two things to go, total. So I was like, hmm, not gonna get a pretzel and water. And even just waiting online for a couple of minutes caused me to miss that Divas match. So, um, Albert, maybe uh, real quick, uh, 
How many stars for this match? It meant a lot to Natalia, I can tell you that. You know, if you've watched all Divas, I know you have. She <laughs> deals with a lot of frustration in her life. She has a lot of different things that seem to be vexing her at any given time. Justin, would you say that's a fair assessment? Well, what's nice is it would actually be plausible to me if Jane Geddes came to Natalia the day before the show and told her she would be on it, and that would actually be news. And like when she's like, so... About WrestleMania, you're not in the main event. I'm so sorry to break it to you. <laughs> She's like, oh my god, well, you know. What a setback. This yeah. does come as a surprise, but I'll soldier on. This is, a, I think, a big show for Total Divas, and absolutely we should side drain from Brock Lesnar and Riz Punk to talk about this. <laughs> JoJo and Eva Marie live wow. in large on this show. Loved it. Tell and me Jojo about JoJo's rendition. Yeah. Killed it. So good. Right, Matt? Yeah, I mean, this was a bit, I mean, you know, both, all three of us, we've been following long enough to know about the pecking order and about the newbies. And this is, <laughs> this is, this is a real breakthrough for newbies because generally, you know, as all hardcore wrestling fans know, newbies don't get this kind of highlight on a big show um, too often. So, good job, newbies. I second that. Isn't it weird that they call the Funkadactyls by their real names on the show, which, like, sound more like stage names than their stage names, which are sort of just kind of normal names. <laughs> that Trinity and sense. Arianne. Yeah. <laughs> would be, I mean, those are star names. Those are star names. and Cameron and Like Cameron. changing uh, Leviathan <laughs> to David Bautista. <laughs> also changing, like, Richard Blood to Ricky Steamboat. <laughs> he just loves um, Steamboats. Speaking of Dick Blood... Um, Punk slow blows on Lesnar were critical turning points in that match. Um, have you had a chance to at least rewatch either of the two big matches on a computer screen or TV screen I, since you were there? I diddly did. I diddly not. They were good. They were good wrestling matches. Uh, it's funny because the Triple H matches... Like, you know, they really didn't get a lot of heat anywhere. I, I mean, I didn't see the, uh, the the cage match, but I don't think it, it was exactly setting the world on fire in terms of molten crowd heat. And this match, pretty much immediately, people were more into. And I think it's partially Triple H, like, his style of, you know, walking around and breathing. And, um... <laughs> that's, I mean, that's kind of everyone's style. That's my style. Yeah. <laughs> Rip me off. <laughs> Yeah, but in, into a kind of more of a thing where people are running and like doing things, and things seem important. So, yeah, see, that's the difference, Justin. It's not an Albert. It's, it's not walking around and breathing. It's running around and breathing that really makes a match. Uh, so, um, hit them ropes. Yeah, they they hit them, and uh, yeah, and it's just it's just interesting to note that anytime Brock Lesnar has been in a match since coming back against not Triple H. <laughs> it's been like you know really exciting and memorable, and everyone loved it. Uh, so that I don't know might say something about something. Uh, yeah. Well, I guess the Cena match was more like different, whereas this was more of a great just pro wrestling main event type match right. between a, a really big heel and a small uh, persevering babyface. Whereas the Cena match with the, the brutality and things like that, but definitely a difference in that Punk and Cena both seem to be a lot more willing, if not eager, to suffer for their art than Triple H did. Uh, and Triple H, when he wrestled Brock, 
was like, hey, I'm very strong too, so we're basically two strong guys who are having an even fight. Whereas with Brock, it was, throwing around CM Punk, it really seemed like he had just stepped right out of uh, 2003 and was throwing around Kurt Angle and hadn't missed a step as far as being just a really great monster heel uh, professional wrestler. He has a really good work ethic for a guy getting paid a lot to do a little. It was a weird thing, too, because uh, I, you know, from a fan perspective, I could see it as, oh, well, you know, CM Punk hasn't had a, a real big win in a long time. So I was like, oh, maybe he should win. And I was like, well, Brock Lesnar probably should also win <laughs> just because of, you know, he's he's to make his limited uh, dates more meaningful. And uh, so I guess I would have been happy with either outcome, but yeah, it was great. And, and Albert noted this is the first time since coming back that Al, that Brock Lesnar has actually had a winning record, which is <laughs> which is kind of interesting to note. But I but I think we can both agree that they are in fact both winners because yeah for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think one story that people have not talked about much, and I'm just just thinking about this since, as someone who's watched CM Punk for you know many many years. He's gotten so good in the ring. Um, like, you know, he was, you know, even on the indies, you know, he had great matches a lot. He was very good. But, you know, th- there was always, like, a thing about him. You know, like people would say, you know, he's sloppy or whatever. You know, he was, he's great, like, great wrestler. Yeah. But All of people on his DVD who didn't believe on it, in him, like, uh, <laughs> Scott Armstrong. Huh? Yeah, like, his, his strength in the indies was definitely his personality. He was a good, he was a very good wrestler, but, you know, nobody really, you know, people didn't talk about him like he's, like, the great worker on the level of a, uh, you know, Danielson or a uh, Samoa Joe or... Austin Aries, low-key, those guys. And now he has, like, you know, he's very smooth. He's very reliable. I mean, how many great matches has he had this year? It's insane. You know, he had, um, I was looking at this, four consecutive four-and-a-half-star pay-per-view matches in The Observer. Can you, I can't think of anyone who's done that before. Uh, Justin, you would probably be the one who would know if, if I didn't uh, about something like Whoa. that. Oh, Yeah, that is... On uh, the spot. Yeah. That's, I hadn't even realized that, yeah. Work-wise, he's been great, and then I think it's an understated thing since he came back in June and turned back again. For all the criticism Punk gets for being like unlikable and snarky and petulant and all the reasons he's, quote, not a good babyface, he has been a perfect babyface in the Brock feud. He has been, like, he was wronged, he was vulnerable, he was mad. He was serious, and he kept fighting and didn't give up. Yeah, it's funny how he's actually more over now as a babyface than during his big babyface world title reign. Um, and I think it's because they, they they didn't give him, they don't, you know, he's not doing all the corny stuff. He's, they're not trying to write comedy for him. He just gets to be angry, and it's a big contrast to John Cena, who, like, they won't let him get angry except in that one promo with Daniel Bryan, which was, you know, which was a very refreshing change of pace from him. But, um, yeah, it's 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 really interesting. I think that you know, you know, some people could say that maybe he didn't live up to like what people expected. You know, when he uh, when he won the title and had the long reign as a babyface, but turning heel, going with Heyman, he was you know amazing in that role. And then turning face, he's been pretty amazing in that role too. So I think just in general, he's really come into his own as an all-time great performer. Which you know, I've liked CM Punk, like I said, for many years, but I I don't think I would have ever considered him an all-time great performer until pretty recently. But now I would definitely mm-hmm. now I definitely would say he is. I think this year in particular, like not if they retired now, and ultimately not that I even really care so much, but I think this year is going to be the turning point that pretty much clinches that Punk and Daniel Bryan are going to be wrestling Observer Hall of Famers for this generation. 
Certainly punk. Without it. I mean, I would say Brian, you know, I would have voted Brian in just for, you know, even if he had never gone to WWE because he was, like, really that good on the indies. Mm-hmm. But I don't think his WWE career is necessarily at that level yet. I think, like, a check mark for people who care about that sort of thing, about, like, getting on top of a territory and being, like, in WWE's eyes acknowledged as, um, I guess, right now, their number two. 1A babyface somehow. Somehow that happened and is a thing going forward on their TV. I guess there's just like really talented people in wrestling and it doesn't matter what happens. They're just going to win out. Like in WCW, Jericho and Benoit and Eddie and Rey Mysterio all ended up being really important parts of uh, WWF in the the decade after they moved. Uh, Benoit is also a murderer. I'd be remiss not to acknowledge <laughs> Thank that. Thank you for acknowledging that. <laughs> but up before that point, I mean, like the fully loaded rock match and things like oh, that. So the Angle series, <laughs> he was sort of a critical cog in that machine. Uh, but then there are other like really, really talented wrestlers like Malenko and Juventud Guerrero, who has his own problems, and and Billy Kidman, who weren't that big deals at all in, in WWE and so I think Punk and Brian are the same kind of uh, like transcendental talents yeah I Blanco mean got that great match with Scotty Too Hotty he doesn't every, <laughs> everyone will remember that because like nobody else had good cruiserweight title matches or light heavyweight title matches so for whatever mm-hmm. reason that like that match which was really good you know it was so shocking to people that they actually got to have that match that it's somehow become this classic also the DDT. Yeah, that was quite a DDT. But yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, you know, there are certain talents where, you're, you know, this guy's a good worker, but, you know, I wouldn't push him at the top of my promotion, you know, even if you are like a work rate dork. And I think Malenko... Dork rate? Dork rate. And I think Malenko is that guy, you know, he's a guy, it's like, you know, we, you want him there, you want him having good matches, but he's not going to be your main eventer just for whatever reason, for whatever intangible... Um, and in this case, the intangible is his height. No, just kidding. Um, but um, he eats dogs. I mean, I I don't have I don't have a problem with that. So. <laughs> you don't have a dog in that fight because he ate it. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, yeah but uh, but yeah, like there yeah, certain guys are just so good. Like, how can you deny them? And I guess at the end of the day, you know, people criticize WWE because. They do a lot of the same stuff people criticize, w, criticize WCW for, which is, like, somebody gets over, they don't want it to get over, so they bury him. Um, I think Zack Ryder would probably probably be the biggest example of that in history. But, um, unless you could think of a bigger one. But, um, what they will do that WCW never would, would be elevate guys like Benoit and Jericho and Brian into main events. I mean, if, if Jericho had never left WCW and WCW had stuck around, would Jericho have ever become a main eventer? Um, I don't know. It's tough to say. Based on their history, I would say it's a decent chance that he wouldn't have. And that's crazy because, you know, they've, you know, he's obviously been in such pivotal roles in WWE, whether he's on the main event or not, for, you know, better part of 13 years, 14 years. So, you know, I guess, I guess at the end of the day, WWE still has the possibility of upward mobility, which, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to know because a lot of places don't have that. And I'm pretty optimistic. I thought that in the long run, 
Punk and Brian would both be just in the mix as part of an ensemble of people in main events who get swapped in and out with like anchor guys like John Cena. I did not think there was going to be a point where Punk was going to displace Randy Orton as the number two star and have consecutive feuds with The Rock and The Undertaker at WrestleMania and Brock Lesnar. I did not think Daniel Bryan was going to beat John Cena clean and then get put into like a Mad Libs version of the McMahon-Helmsley era. It's like career mode on a video game, like 2000 mode, and you happen to choose Daniel Bryan for it. It is kind of like that. Now, that said, I, I'm not convinced that Daniel Bryan is like a perennial main eventer at this point because it doesn't seem like they're building to like his big title win at WrestleMania. They're kind of going right to the Orton feud, and Cena's going to come back, and WrestleMania's still going to be about the like old guys coming back. And, you know, I'm not ruling out that he's going to, like, kind of be solidified as, like, like one of the top baby faces, but I definitely am not one of the people who are like, yep, he's, he's a made man now, he's going to be he's gonna be in it. You know, I think it's still possible that he's just, you know, he's a temporary main eventer until, you know, they get Sheamus and Cena back, and they, you know, they gave Daniel Bryan his run, and he's a good worker, and they'll keep him near the top. But I, I don't know. I don't see him as, like, a perennial, like, top baby face yet. I think it could go either way. What do you think? I think the company's picks a couple years ago for like the new generation of headliners were Sheamus and Del Rio, and I think they'll continue to keep getting shots because it's not like they're not good. Um, but I think Punk and eventually Brian have sort of surpassed them and will be ahead of them going forward. Just what, well, I guess we could we could save like the questions about Brian until later. Um, but yeah, as far as the Lesnar-Punk match, uh, it was awesome. It was probably Punk's best match this year, but that said, being there alive, I enjoyed the uh, Punk-Undertaker match more just because, um, I don't know, just that, that atmosphere really can't be replicated, the Undertaker-WrestleMania match in the Giant Stadium. Um, and I love the near falls and stuff. But either way, Punk has had pretty fucking awesome year. I think that fateful time in June, they really set course on both the Punk Heyman and Brock feud, and the Daniel Bryan rise to the top, which, I mean, I didn't believe it as it played out, but there's this story starting in May or June where he said, I'm the weak link and I'm mad, and then he beat the Shield and had a breakup with Randy Orton, and uh, beat Randy Orton clean, and then started doing really well, and then beat a bunch of guys, Sheamus, some other people, Went to the world title match at SummerSlam, won, and then Randy Orton came back to be mad at him and do bad things to him. So I guess my point is it's better to stick to plans and have plans in the first place. And what was interesting about the Daniel Bryan push to SummerSlam is that so much of it was like, you know, him thinking or saying that he wasn't the weak link, but people think he was and like, you know, Vince McMahon saying he was too small or whatever, or like they do that. And like sort of like nominally the intention is to subvert those expectations and make you think, Oh, well, no, he's not too small or he's not like look like a troll or whatever. But then the other level of that seems like, Oh, that's what they really think. And that's like the only way they can tolerate pushing him. Yeah. Like, also to acknowledge it at the same time. Yeah. And like making him seem lesser. Cause like so much of the buildup was just about like, simply Daniel Bryan existing. Like, if they have, like, a Sheamus versus, like, John Cena match or whoever else, like, it's not so focused on just, like, every element or aspect of this guy as a person, but when Daniel Bryan mm-hmm. was, which was weird, but it, it and seems the kind of thing that could backfire easily, but I don't think it did. Uh, let me ask. Go on. 
Yeah. So this this guy this is in your wheelhouses, respectively. And I've asked mm-hmm. this, but I haven't seen it discussed too much. So they have total divas, right? And you know, Ooh. it's about all the you know, the total divas, the totality of the divas. <laughs> and um, you know, their lives. And yet the show does not even acknowledge the existence of the two most pushed divas in the company. <laughs> I I mean Albert has had some theories, but what gives? Let's air this out in public. I would love to delve into those theories, other than, like, they didn't think AJ would fit on that kind of show. I have none. Gotta Uh, save something for season two. uh, Yeah, but isn't your theory sort of that they just think that AJ would be way too different from her character, so they don't want to expose the biz to that level? And her character is so over the top that, you know, she tried to work that into a reality show... While still, and then she's also in like more involved in storylines than the other. So like that might be like a weird balance, but I don't know. I think it's possible that as the show progresses, they might uh, open up the world of the divas a little more. Maybe we'll learn what you know um, Summer Rae is all about. What makes her tick? Mm-hmm. She's probably mm-hmm. got some some boyfriend who is unsupportive for the first thirty minutes of the week, <laughs> <laughs> and then supportive by the end of it. <laughs> Oh, I like those arc-based relationships <laughs> yeah. with a concise beginning, middle, and end. Actually, that would be a great match for Goldberg. Everyone thinks Ryback is a Goldberg clone, but Vincent is pretty <laughs> reminiscent of him. I wonder if the concept of the show started with, like, we'll bring back the Bellas to do this show, and then we'll just round it out with other people we don't care about, who have become stars in the interim by virtue of that show. Just think, if they had kept that juniors division around, we would have gotten a reality show about Super Porky. Yeah, with Paul no. Cannon playing the James uh, <laughs> Eddie's role. So many ideas for that guy. <laughs> he really was an ideas man. <laughs> really, his new talent initiative only came to the forefront in the last uh, year or so. Finally, his vision fulfilled the new developmental place and... Yep. Uh, <laughs> Different hiring processes. So. I mean, you could draw a straight line to <laughs> innovating and where the company is now. I mean, I'm sure, you know, even though he hasn't, you know, maybe been under contract for a while, I'm sure, you know, he's still getting some type of uh, compensation for his uh, brilliant push forward. A pioneer, really. He was saying the things people were too scared to hear at that point. Yeah, I have so much Palmer Cannon material, but oh we should soldier on. <laughs> When is the Palmer the the Palmer Cannon podcast PC PC the Palmcast? <laughs> you could probably get him on, right? He'd probably be happy to. Speaking of podcasts, you guys realize that we are in direct competition with Stone Cold Steve Austin for the listenership of wrestling fans. He got Ric Flair, but you and... but you got Albert Ching. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Similar, similar personalities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I've I've been on the Disneyland ride, Space Mountain, and I believe he <laughs> uses Space Mountain as a, a slang term to denote his penis. That's how I've always understood that phrase. I don't know. It's a, yeah, so if it's a ride, so I guess that's a particular sexual position. Yes. But is the longest line refer to penis length, or is that just the number of women who want to have yeah, sex with him? That yeah, particular... yeah, the women waiting online for the but, to, to sit on top of that penis. It does infer that maybe he's also evoking, you know, the imagery of having a long penis. <laughs> Helps, yeah. 
Oh, maybe all the times he said "sit down, fat boy," he was talking to his erection. <laughs> <laughs> Wonder if it was the same fat boy who so got Punk's goat. Yeah, if if Punk was talking to his erection, he was very angry at his erection. <laughs> anyway, Ziggler and this thing, sure. <laughs> uh, program I think I just saw blown off in two minutes on SmackDown this morning. One of my pet points has been that they really screwed up rushing the Dolph Ziggler turn, but I guess I'll continue to give it the benefit of the doubt and see if he ultimately ends up in a pretty good spot as a babyface. I have a Dolph Ziggler question for Jonathan, because I know he's a close follower of Dolph Ziggler's career. Please. Do you think that, you know, talking about his face turn, do you think it maybe has been hurt by the fact that he really, like, and I guess this is obviously intentional to keep, like, his edge, but he doesn't really act any differently than... Yeah, he... Like, like, another thing, like, he showed, like, no, like, vulnerability or anything. And also, exactly. he dumped AJ, which I can understand why they wanted to do, because it's like, yeah, a dude should, a dude dumping a girl is, you know, a cool move. But, like, still, you know, it, he didn't seem too sympathetic, necessarily. I think that there's probably a, a spectrum of uh, what we talked about before, like the Cody turn, where he was not vulnerable to all the... CM Punk turn where he was deeply wounded and got beat right. up a lot and was mad. <laughs> yeah. And then Dolph ended up closer because, like, they did cost him some championships, I guess, but he he was like, all right, yeah. y'all suck, right. uh, whatever, not even sweating it. I'm a show-off. And one more Dolph Ziggler note. His current Twitter biography now identifies him first as a stand-up comic. <laughs> he does really like Archer. It says, stand-up comic, I wrestle to pay the bills. Hmm. Hmm. What do you think about that, Matt? I think uh, maybe he's joking, like a comedian would. (laughs) I don't know, because then he also, like, his background picture is, like, uh, is two different pictures of him on stage that look to be taken with, like, uh, like an iPhone, like, (laughs) like, very, like, not great pictures of him on stage, presumably telling jokes. I, I've never seen him do stand-up, and I, I imagine he could be very funny. But it just, yeah, I'd like to see that. It seems a little odd for him to be like presenting himself as a stand-up comic mm-hmm. at this point in his career. He would, but, hey. he would, he would be the most in-shape stand-up comedian in history. Carrot Top is Jack. Carrot Top, true, true, you're right. Damn it, you're right. <laughs> Man, that would be a good match if they got that for WrestleMania. Carrot Top was going to be at WrestleMania 14, and then he wasn't. So now they can bring him back to wrestle Dolph Ziggler in the Battle of the Comedians. What if we got a Dolph Ziggler WTF and we get into his secret pain? <laughs> well, there already is a Cole Cabana one, so. Yeah, I mean, it's actually probably not far-fetched at this point. I mean, especially with his, his history with, uh, with Inside Amy Schumer, star Amy Schumer. <laughs> well, I don't know about this. They dated. Oh, no? When? Mm-hmm. Maybe 2011, in it, 2012. In between runs with uh, Anthony Jeselnik. Who's better? Lo- True. Who's better looking, Anthony Jeselnik or Dolph Ziggler? Dolph Ziggler's, I mean, physique included or just facial cheekbone you, structure? You use whatever whatever criteria you want and choose a handsomer man. I've seen the whole thing with the show off, so that doesn't seem... Fair. He's pretty he's fit. Seen, he's seen Dolph Ziggler's penis. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he seems pretty fit. Albert? You know, I think the the, the slick back dyed blonde hair, while mm. it works for him as a wrestling character, strictly in handsomeness, 
I don't know. It might it might lower him slightly in my eyes just because you can't. It looks kind of silly. I think, and maybe intentionally from yeah, like, yeah. You know, being a wrestler standpoint, like he probably wouldn't necessarily have that if he really was just like a stand-up comic or whatever other job. Um, so true. there's a wrestling tradition of arrogant pretty boys with bleached blonde hair yeah. that does not carry over to stand-up comedy. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know, but you know, they're both, they're just both great guys. It's just a hop, skip and a jump from Scott Norton. To Jim Norton, to Dolph Ziggler. So Scott, you you start with Scott Norton, then you go to Jim Norton, then you go to Dolph Ziggler. It was uh, left to the listener to arrange them. It was okay. a uh, one of those ADD tests. What's next for Dolph now that this business is behind him? I am excited the prospect of Daniel Bryan, Dolph Ziggler, the Big Show, and Mark Henry forming a new union to battle the corporation. The Big Show has union experience. Exactly. And like, hey guys, I know what to do. And also, no, but, but, but actually, it could still be the union of people you ought to respect, but instead of Shane at the end, it'll be Stephanie at the end, so it still is up yours. That's right. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, because uh, he beat Big E in like two minutes on SmackDown, and AJ was kind of like, ah, rats. Well, what can you do? So it seems like that's the end of that, and he's going to wrestle uh, Dean Ambrose for the U.S. title. What's next for Big E? That's a better question, because... For one, he's good. For two, they seem to like him. And for three, he has AJ, who has a lot of... um, They're always going to put some focus on her. So, I don't know. I guess Dave and Brian thought... Meltzer and Alvarez, respectively, (laughs) thought that he might be um, a a Curtis Axel upgrade for Polly. But Mm. I guess we'll see. Shouldn't they do Lesnar versus Curtis Axel with Curtis Axel trying to get... Uh, some type of redemption for his father trying to uh, take down <laughs> Lesnar on an airplane ten plus years ago. It's, a, it's amazing that that hasn't come up. So if they do you know, the next Battle of the Heyman guys, mm-hmm. that is like obviously the root of it. That's where it starts. Mm-hmm. Like you exactly. Have them, you have them like do a tag match and they're successful, and then like at the end of it. Curtis Axel turns on Lesnar. You wonder why it happened. Everyone's in disbelief. Then he does the promo the next night, explains why. Perfect. <laughs> Ooh, we should probably talk about that match. We've belabored some non-points <laughs> long enough. It was long. It was really good. It had a surprising finish. It seemed like the kind of match result that is going to have ramifications and things are going to be at least slightly different. And... uh it was really cool of John Cena to do that uh, with an elbow baseball. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and man, like just from the beginning, it's so surreal, you know, watching Daniel Bryan wrestle in front of you know four hundred people, you know, and they, and you know, by the time I was watching ROH, he was pretty much a god. I guess he was probably close to one even in the first show. So it's not like I saw him rise up from like a nobody, but you know, to like, go to a full arena and he's the most popular guy there, and everyone's going nuts, and he's in the main event, and it's just like in the. Uh, you know, basically, the reaction was very similar to the reactions you would get at Ring of Honor shows. And then to see him in this main event, have this classic match, you know, win with, the, with the, like an out-of-nowhere finish like he used to do in ROH sometimes. You know, the, the execution, you know, I know in certain spots, you know, maybe they didn't do as good a job like Cena didn't catch him when he was supposed to and stuff like that. But, man, what a great match. Uh, it's probably my favorite match that I've seen in many years just by virtue of being there alive and, like, the importance of it and all that stuff. You know, I, this would definitely be my WWE match of the year, um, even if maybe it wasn't technically as good as the Brock versus Punk match uh, 
what did you guys think? I thought it was great as well. And I was wondering, had he used, was that the first time he used that as a finisher, right? The knee? Well, apparently, he also used it against uh, Wade Barrett on SmackDown, which you wouldn't know, Matt, because... <laughs> I did know, because I, re- because I did know, because I read it. But, um, not R-E-D-D-I-T. Um, but uh, apparently he used it in his, in his dark match against Chavo Guerrero that he wrestled after he signed, and there's a video of it online, and he used, if not that exact same knee, something pretty similar... So that's just a, that's a funny uh, story, but um, yeah. Otherwise, yes, it is the first time he's used that finisher. I think it's good for him to have a non-submission finisher. I think that makes the you know, especially him being in longer matches now and in WWE and in more main events and stuff. I think that that was an important thing to to add to his uh, his move set. Mm-hmm. You know, I love moves and something <laughs> he can hit like during angles too, like you know, out of nowhere. Right. Like a stunner or a rock bottom. And, you know, you couldn't have done more to get it over immediately. I guess, I mean, <laughs> the pop was slightly diminished, maybe, as you all realized, like, whoa, sure. really? Yeah, but it peaked uh, out of nowhere at that point. Uh huh. But, still, but it's still pretty huge once people figured out what had happened. And you still, if you watch the show, you could still hear people, like, counting along. Like, people were very into that moment of the match. Mm hmm. Also, I mean, it's really strange for him to. Uh, he didn't like surprise John Cena or counter everything. Like he was winning. Uh, Cena was like holding on, trying to keep going. I guess you could say his injury tied into that. And Brian kept getting closer. And then at the end, he stood in the corner and fired up and was like, "I'm gonna do it." And they cut to a wide shot of everybody doing yes, and he did it, and it happened. And and there are a lot of other really great spots too. I think. My favorites were well. First of all, the, the slap fest because you never see that in WWE, and that was and the people reacted to it just like they would have in like in a Japanese or independent match. And the other one was um, the when he uh, you know uh, sat up in the, when his legs were in the turnbuckle after the superplex, and mm-hmm. you know like was like pumping his fist and everyone was going crazy. And it was like this could not be working out any better than it is in terms of like getting the crowd to react. It was so cool. It was just so so <laughs> surreal. Uh, I, 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 I'm still trying to figure out, like, what was the moment where they were like, yeah, we're going to go with Daniel Bryan? Like, I just, I just, I didn't, I don't see that moment where, like, it would have clicked with them like that. It was all the hot comebacks in those tag matches against the Shield. It was probably mm-hmm. a lot of it, right, Justin? It, it's really, because he went from the fall guy to have really good matches with the Shield, and then it somehow just clicked. And, th- I mean, there's the story of the head writer guy, whatever his name is, not sure it matters, who oversaw the plotting out of this whole summer angles, which I guess would mean the Lesnar feud and the, this Daniel Bryan push, since they're the, really the ones at the long-term direction, and the whole you know overarching McMahon thing that's going to keep going. And then he stuck around to see them to fruition. So I don't know like who in June or late May was like, so here's this push for... Uh, you know, Daniel Bryan to just beat John Cena for the world title and then have it stolen from him and be a top babyface now. Because Dave said, um, Meltzer, at the time he was just like, yep, company sees that Daniel Bryan, this was when he they thought he was going to break up with Kane and turn heel on him. And uh, he's like, nope, they think he's going to be a top babyface uh, in the company now, one of their top guys. And it was just kind of like, okay, sure. So he'll probably like, get a feud with Dolph Ziggler maybe and have some matches for that belt. And then, nope, he's going to wrestle John Cena. It's very... At SummerSlam. And the timing worked out really well because the nature of his injury and needing to, like, 
put him in the place of a new established now babyface to carry part of the show. There was no reason to protect John Cena on the finish or give him any outs aside from being injured going in. You're just like, yeah, I completely beat him unequivocally. It's 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 just so weird. I mean, I think like when I was you know watching ROH pretty regularly, like kind of during that golden era with all those guys there. You know, I you know Brian was my favorite, but I don't think I would have pegged him as like somebody that even I would probably like if I was booking WWE put as like a top baby face. You know, I would probably you know think of somebody like Samoa Joe or Nigel McGuinness or Austin Aries before Brian, just like by the nature of how they you know their personalities and how they wrestled. And obviously, I think Brian's personality has improved, but. Justin, I mean, would you have ever even considered this possibility that Daniel Bryan would have been, even like for a brief amount of time, the top babyface in WWE? No. <laughs> Punk, at least sort of, like, he had that promo that changed everything, and they were like, okay, like, people love him, we're going to do some stuff. Whereas Daniel Bryan, I mean, I definitely thought he could be a main event heel like he was last year and be, like, the foil to the top babyfaces and cycle in in programs with them i could have seen like john cena versus heel daniel bryan at last year's september pay-per-view or whatever was going on then um but no this it just i mean i guess a lot has to do with those yes and no but they it's not just people who want to say that they're just like we love you and in a strange situation the company was like they really love him let's just let's make him really sympathetic and rootable and send him on this quest for people to want to see him win things that were taken from him but now the question becomes like where does this all go like i and that's something that i'm still like i don't even know what i would do because obviously they're going like it seems like what would make sense to me was that he would feud with triple h first and like have like all these roadblocks in his way to get to Orton to like finally maybe win the Royal Rumble or something and beat him at WrestleMania. But that's obviously not what they're doing. So in in that case, like where does it go? What did they do with him? Uh, you know, what is what is the culmination of this angle? Yeah, I guess. I mean, we only seen one show of the new TVs they set up, but I think there's a heel group. Vince is adorably become the Patterson and the Briscoe of the corporation until his weird baby face turn, whatever that's going to be. I don't know. I think they have beats for it. Um, all I can really tell you right now is it'll probably be Daniel Bryan will look like he should have beat Randy Orton at the next pay-per-view, and unfair things will make that not happen. And then he'll go to Hell in a Cell, and or maybe that's after the first October one. He'll have another match. I don't know. I don't know if it's actually going to be... Uh, a union against the corporation of those four guys. I think they should build to um, CM Punk joining the side of the good guys against fighting the machine after he gets done with um, his Heyman uh, feud. I think that'll be pretty cool when he's like, hey, guess what? I'm also pissed about this. We're in this together. Yeah, I really don't know because they got to they gotta fill like four or so at least pay-per-view main events without John Cena in them and keep it going. I don't, if I were to guess, I don't think they're going to prolong it to him chasing Orton for that belt all the way to WrestleMania uh, just because it's too many shows in between then. But I do think he's eventually going to win it. I, um, yeah, I mean, that's part of why I don't think, like, they're totally in this, like, thing where, okay, Brian's a top babyface because... I mean, at least right now, the, the big the big culmination of this angle is Triple H versus whoever McMahon's guy is. And while I think it's possible that will end up being Brian, I don't think that is their current plan. 
Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, so I, you know, like, I think it's happened a lot where, like, they've wanted to, like, do the traditional thing and, like, fate has led them more toward the thing that we like. Um, and I think that could happen again. But I don't know. I, I'm really curious to know, like, what they, where they want to go with this. It's, I mean, it's interesting to watch out because, I mean, he's not – a different babyface might have come back at the end of Raw and beat everybody up. Uh, a lot of good jokes about what kind of truck Daniel Bryan would drive in to spray and what kind of liquid he would spray on them. <laughs> <laughs> and whereas he, they're more going to, uh, I guess, he's going to be embattled a lot and people will really feel bad for him. Because it, it really is unfair what they're doing to him. You'd have to say. But, I mean, but they got to be careful. Like he's got to. Like he, he had that big win, but that's not going to carry him for like five months. He's got to have some more. Well, he did beat Wade Barrett. That's true. <laughs> and they're like arch enemies, right? Wouldn't you say that? Like you know, it's kind of like dating back for years now. I mean, they had a mm-hmm. a classic match at SummerSlam 2011, and mm-hmm. they um they've been they were together in NXT season one, and Wade Barrett took credit for exiling Daniel Bryan, which. Maybe it's not exactly how it went down in real life. <laughs> yeah, Daniel Bryan shaving Wade Barrett's beard seems like one of those things you'd read in an obituary for like 1960s angles with John Tolos. <laughs> like the memorable night in St. Louis when his beard was shaved off. I think what has to happen is that, you know, the odds are going to be, you know, stacked against Daniel Bryan and, you know, he's not going to have anyone to help him. Kane has obviously twice been murdered by the Wyatt family. <laughs> and he's going to have to finally uh, reach out for assistance from the most must-see former NXT pro, The Miz. What a moment. The ultimate unlikely alliance against the dastardly forces of Triple H and the rest. He should, he should, they should have a big angle where The Miz like, apologizes to Brian and shakes his hand and they, they unite. I think that's... They, there was one uh, SmackDown when... Brian was the uh, evil world champion where Miz was like, gotta say, Daniel Bryan, I was wrong about you. I like how you uh, are mean to people. We see eye to eye on that. I do like that Oath of Heels thing where once everyone agrees to uh, take shortcuts, then they can sort of cooperate a little bit. It's like, well, if you don't mind uh, putting your feet on the ropes, then I guess we can hang out. You think we're going to get more members of this group, of the heel group? You think we're going to get more... More heels folded into it. If I were some heels, I would definitely <laughs> it would be the try, place to go, right? Try to get on their good side. Like Barrett has been loosely affiliated, and yeah, yeah I mean, you could use the boost. I, what if the white and uh, joined in like an approximation of the corporate ministry? <gasps> they could also kidnap Stephanie, maybe. Maybe finally they'll get Rod McMahon, like some people oddly want so badly. <laughs> Rod McMahon, a long time coming. Maybe, yeah, Vince will. His ne'er-do-well brother and him will come and take the company back. Justin, what do you think? Of, hey, sorry. What do you think of the uh, top two matches? Like where they rank as far as like best matches in SummerSlam, Hamster Memory. Yeah, I was thinking about the best, um, just like top two classic matches on the show, and I was thinking about um, the uh, No Way Out with the Rock Angle and Steve Austin Triple H matches has a good package deal. Fully loaded 2000. Um, uh-huh. WrestleMania 17 with TLC and Austin versus uh, Rock. Uh, that's uh, WrestleMania 19. WrestleMania 10. Oh, WrestleMania 10. That's like the easy. Yes, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far what about as far as like best matches in SummerSlam history? Like, 
I'm trying to even like it's it's kind of harder to pick than WrestleMania because WrestleMania has kind of like those five or six where it's like, well, just take whatever your taste. You pick one of those, you know. And I guess mm-hmm. those would be like Restimo versus Savage, Hart versus Hart, Michaels versus Ramon, Hart versus Austin, Undertaker versus Michaels one, and maybe Austin versus Rock two. And like one of those is like somebody's pick, you know. Right. It's, well, because there's a, a WrestleMania mythology in the way there's not for like the second Shawn Michaels Razor Ramon ladder match. Right. I, I'd say or the really awesome match Steve Austin and Kurt Angle just happened to have one SummerSlam. Yeah, which I just watched also, and it was such a wild and like different match. But um, yeah, I think probably for most people the best match in SummerSlam history would be um, Bulldog versus Bret Hart. Probably still. Yeah, I think that one and. And Shawn Michaels Triple H, which I'm not saying it would be the pick, but they're like they had they seem to be like most etched into important things that happened. And the first Bret Hart Mr. Perfect match, although not as much as the Bret Bulldog match. And the second ladder match also between uh Ramon and, and, and Michaels. That was a pretty amazing match too. But uh I think these are these two matches are somewhere in that ballpark. Like, you know, they they could be spoken about amongst the best matches in SummerSlam history and it wouldn't be weird or anything. Yeah, I think they were more memorable and consequential and will go down as like actual classic matches as opposed to just Steve Austin and Kurt Angle having a great match or CM Punk and Jeff Hardy having a great match or something like that. They were they were uh special. It was a excellent SummerSlam. Like you said, probably the best in 11 years. So, so yeah. So do good time between friends. Do I do I um do my catchphrase now and the song? Please. Yep. All right. Well, I guess I'm only doing the comedy bang bang thing because Justin brought it up. Not that I. It was a huge achievement. You were famous for half a week. No, that's if you do the plug song. Oh shit, that's right. But okay, so in comedy bang bang, they open up with uh, a catchphrase. Um, you know, it's a, a fan submitted catchphrase, just like a funny. The what's up, hot dog memorial catchphrase. Right. Like just like a um, just a funny little thing that they pretend is their catchphrase for the week, and Scott Aukerman, the host, just kind of says it at the opening of the show. So mine was. Um, there could only be one world's most handsome grandfather, and he will be chosen tonight on this very special episode. So that great catchphrase and eliciting a genuine chuckle from bridesmaids and the heat director and freaks and geeks creator Paul Feig. Yes, very impressive of me. Um, and uh, all the Pringle ladies and one. <laughs> no. Um. All right. So uh, you guys ready? Mm-hmm. All the Pringle ladies, all the Pringle ladies, all the Pringle ladies, all the Pringle ladies, open your cans up. Pop, 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 pop. If you like it, you should buy another can of it. If you like it, you should buy another can of it. If you like it, you should buy another can of it. Pop, 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 pop. And the verse would go, at least something like this. Up in the kitchen, want to get chips? Got to get them big, not fried. Opened up a bag, it was such a drag, there was so much grease I cried. If you like it, you should buy another can of it. If you like it, you should buy another can of it. Pop, pop, pop. Okay, that's it. I'll be honest, way more words were changed than I (laughs) would have guessed. I think there are a lot of direct rhymes for the word ring. I don't want to note you to death, I might take that to a second draft. Other than that, pretty much immaculate. (laughs) Well, now it's out there. No one can steal it from me. We have this podcast mm-hmm. as a record. Like, a, Well, my podcasts are public domain. I'm sorry. Well, but the point is, I can still prove that I had it on this day. Oh, intellectual property. Right. That's good. Well, wh- is this um, the EP from a, 
upcoming parody album, or have you made your point and dropped the mic? Well, it's, it's going to be one parody song, but you know the. Um, you know, and then just the, the, acoustic the, the, covers. The centerpiece of my album is the uh, hot dance track "Bitch Don't Know My Password." Wow. Um, and uh, beyond that, we'll we'll see where it goes. So we'll look for your upcoming work, uh, probably attending Survivor Series. Mm. Where, where where is Survivor Series this year? I don't know. Almost definitely not going to happen. But if SummerSlam, almost definitely. But if SummerSlam's at MSG next year, uh, I, I, if I'm still alive, you know, look for that. Oh man, what a run you're on! Mm. Oh, I'm going to the Royal Rumble in Pittsburgh. That's going to be hot. Make sure that crowd counts down because you know those Pittsburgh crowds. They don't even <laughs> they don't even pop for numbers. So I got to tell you, Survivor uh, Series 2013, Boston, Massachusetts, not uh, not out of reach for Matt to get to. As a New Yorker, though, how much do you loathe Boston? Not at all, but I do not see myself going there. But, you know, history history has taught us that some amazing things can happen when a pay-per-view... Can we like, a, like an Indiegogo to raise money to send that <laughs> to, summer, to Survivor Series? I think we should do that. Nah, I just, I'll have work the next day and have to drive back. I don't know. Anyway. Let me say this to the... Uh, non-existent fans. It's the only way you'll hear another episode of this podcast until next SummerSlam. <laughs> oh, Albert, will you be appearing at any PWG shows with Gillian Jacobs in the future? Um, well, the next one, unfortunately, uh, is next week, and that part's not unfortunate, but unfortunately I'm going to not be in town <laughs> for it. I would love to. It's the annual uh, Battle of Los Angeles. Um, but, you know, past that, I would say it's possible. And also, it should be noted that Gillian Jacobs Community co-star Yvette Nicole Brown was uh, was at SummerSlam. Whoa! Yeah. I heard that they became fast friends on The Talking Dead. Well, there you go. By they, you mean Yvette Nicole Brown and uh, <laughs> CM Punk? Yes. Whoops. And Chris Hardwick, head, I, probably. Also. Mm-hmm. Um, who do we have on the uh, Shapir show post game show where people break down what they just heard on this podcast? I don't know. Go to those. Go to the Shapir show thread and see who comments on it, and it'll be like those two guys. Mm. We'll, we'll talk. Perfect. The other anyway. Uh, we're not affiliated with it. They'll be saying where we nailed it and where we completely dropped the ball. How many episodes is this of the Shapir show? Oh, gotta be upwards of four. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're on five. I think yeah. you you had one about that. Um, Ricky Gervais midget show, right? Yeah, that show was a good harbinger because the the underlying theme was like, is Ricky Gervais terrible now? Do we want to say it? And then I think confirmed in the years since we can say yes, unfortunately, yes. Well, I thought he Derek was, uh, is supposed to be great or good. Oh, is that a Netflix show now? I think it's going to be, yeah. But some people have seen it already aired in the uh, in the United Kingdom. And, like, Carl Pilkington acts on it? He does. Wow. And Gervais plays, as he would call it, a mental. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you put it that way, I, I, I think it probably <laughs> suggests that it doesn't sound good. I hope uh, the show tells religious people that they're wrong. <laughs> That's a necessary thing to point that out. So, we'll be next up. We've been, all been taping this to make sure it doesn't get edited uh, unfairly, like when John Cena was on CNN that time, and he said, like, uh, I'm not taking steroids, I hate them, and they edited it to make him say, I hate not taking steroids. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, 
We will all release our cuts of this episode, but mine will uh, go up uh, eventually. It will, it will have gone up when you're downloading this, and then <laughs> we'll see you next time. We'll all be one seat over for what I'm told is uh, politically ching correct with Albert Ching. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get into it. We're gonna talk about all of the the big political issues of the day. You guys are gonna be joined by James Carville and we also like some uh, some like mid '90s uh, stand-ups too. <laughs> Yes, Kevin Meany. Uh, Mark- Kevin Meany's on the show. <laughs> yep, Dom Herrera is going to be joining us. <laughs> Who, are you, are you, I heard you were trying to get Edward Snowden. Will uh, he do satellite? Like, like, or? Try, like trying to get him, like in a bad way, or like trying to get him on the show? Uh, that's what uh, their producer told me. <laughs> All I can say is the only rule is that there are no rules. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, Albert, the bad boy of uh, politics, will join us, I guess, in a couple months. Guys, thanks so much for having this conversation. You're welcome. Our friendship means a lot to me. Justin, you should end the show with, um, out there having fun in the warm California sun. Um, I think you just did. Welcome everyone to the Justin Chapo Show, presented by AfterBuzz. We'll be breaking down today's episode, as well as all the latest news and gossip, letting you know where they nailed it and where they completely dropped the ball. We're here to talk about the hits, the misses, the disses, and the kisses. Joining me as always are Jillian Hall and Amo. Amo, what do you think of the show? I thought we were previewing the Confederations Cup final. I will not rest in peace. 1995 is coming soon, promise.